question. Would God call you faithful? If he was standing for you, standing in front of Jesus, would he, would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? It's a good question, isn't it? So today I want to talk about th- six things you need to know about faithfulness. One of the most important character traits we can develop as a believer is, is just being faithful. And we'll talk about what that looks like. How many know God's absolutely faithful? In fact, we sing the song from Lamentations 3. 22, through the Lord's mercies were not consumed because his passions fail not. Compassions fail not. The new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So, see, God's faithful, and when you come to Jesus, how many know he puts something of himself inside of you? And he gives you an ability to be faithful, yes or no? So, one of the things I found out when I came to the Lord in 1976, I I didn't understand these principles at all, but, but God began to urge me urged me to do things that would show him that I want to be faithful to him. So here are six things that we need to know about faithfulness and jump right into it. Number the first one is at Christ's reward seat, we will be judged as to whether or not we use the gifts that Jesus gave to us. How many know well how many know when 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 you come to Jesus, he placed gifts inside of you? It could be it could be before you're born, innately placed within you is the call of God. Whatever he's called you to be. He doesn't call everybody to do the same thing. He doesn't call everybody like me to be in full-time ministry. But he calls you to minister life to others in the capacity that he, that he gives you to do so. Is that true or not? So it could be. Could it be that when we stand before Jesus, he looks and he asks if we were faithful in what he called us to do originally when he created us. Romans 14, just as a reminder, uh, ver- the latter part of verse 10, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That word judgment is the Greek word which means rewards. And, um, and so, you know, it's, it's not, this doesn't have to do with whether you're going to heaven or not. If you're standing before Jesus, you're going to heaven. Is that good news? But this has to do with rewards that he passes out for faithfulness to him. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, I don't know about you. When I read that, it sobers me. And it should sober you. Salvation's free. But see, he places us and leaves us on this planet after we're saved so we can minister to others and minister life to others. And so we can be faithful with the gifts that he places in us. And, and at the end of our journey, we stand before Jesus. Once you leave your physical body in death, you stand before Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. Um, most of me trembles about that. I'm just going to be frank, frank with you. And every day I think, well, I'm going to stand before Jesus and give account. Wonder what I'm, what I'm going to say. Wow. Or what he's going to say. First uh, Corinthians 3, uh, starting with verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so uh, the fire, the Revelation chapter 1, John saw Jesus uh, when he walked the earth for 33 and a half years. Age 30, John was one of the 
one of the disciples who became one of the apostles of the Lamb, he saw Jesus, but then in Revelation 1, he saw Jesus in his glorified state. And in his glorified state, his whole visage was on fire, and his eyes were flames of fire, he says. So just think about standing in front of somebody who can look clear through you and burn a hole clear through all of your motives, all of your ideals, the reason you did what you did and what it reveals here in 1 Corinthians 3 that at every day of our life in some way, perhaps we are accruing six things, gold, silver, precious jewels, ore, wood, hay, and straw. So all of these are going to be tested by fire, uh, gold, silver, Jewels, what does that represent? That perhaps represents what we do because we love Jesus and because we love other people and our sole desire is to help them. Has nothing to do with us, perhaps. And so that accrues perhaps gold, silver, jewels. But the things we do so people can see us, so we can get some human accolades, attaboys, girls, good boy, you did good, hey. Uh, so people can esteem us. Perhaps that accrues wood, hay, straw. What happens to wood, hay, and straw when fire hits it? It creates a smoky atmosphere. And so I have a feeling before all of us there'll be a smoky atmosphere. And when I stand before Jesus, I, you know, just like you, once the smoke clears, I'll probably just hit the dirt or the gold, gold streets. Just hit the gold and say, thank you, Jesus, for letting me in the, letting me in the gates. How about you? So the question, if you were suddenly right now at the judgment seat of Christ, what would he say about your personal faithfulness right now? Are you faithful to God? Secondly, faithfulness allows the gifts that God places in us to develop. A lot of people uh, don't enter into the best that God has for them because they haven't yet proved themselves faithful. Now, I said that because of Matthew 22, 14. It's not in the notes. Many are called, Jesus said, but few are chosen. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that challenges me. Does that, does that challenge you? The call of God is on every life. God has a call for you to minister life to others in some way. And the way that we fulfill that call, first of all, is by finding ourselves faithful. Paul was called to be an apostle and was um, placed in that office after he proved himself faithful. Watch this, Romans 1.1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, and then separated unto the gospel of God. There was a time period between the time that God called him and the separation to that call. Again, I guess in heaven we'll figure all this out, but Psalm 139 reveals that every day of our life uh, is written in a book in heaven before we're even born. So is life precious to God in the womb? We'll talk about that next week. But if that's true, then, then what does that mean? That means the, the callings of God, the gifts of God that he places inside of us. One, uh, uh, one scripture, I think, 1 Corinthians 9, the gifts and callings of God are, are without repentance, are irrevocable. That is, he places his giftings inside of us and he expects us to steward what he's placed within, in us through faithfulness. And so Paul here said uh, he was an, a bondservant, a love slave of Jesus Christ. He was called to be an apostle when? Perhaps in his mother's womb. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet even from his mother's womb. See see the idea? So the thing that God has for you, it's, it's set. The, the, the books in heaven are set. And God wants your life to follow his trajectory. Yes or no? Then it says separated 
under the gospel of God. You know, uh, Paul, once he came to Jesus, he was 14 years in the desert, Arabian desert. And then another three years, it was 17 years before he even began to, to fulfill the call that God placed on his life. What does that tell you? That, that, that what God has for us, there's a preparation time in every life for us to fulfill what God has for us. Is that true? And it's what we do in that preparation time uh, that shows whether or not, not only that we are called, but then we're actually enter into that call. Paul entered into the call of apostleship when he was separated unto the gospel of God. What, what showed that separation? His faithfulness to Jesus. Perhaps for him during those 17 years. Again, many people are called by God to do things, but they're never separated because they haven't shown themselves faithful. Faithfulness separates us to the thing that God's called us to do. You see the importance of it? I never knew it. I never even thought about it. I was in church 18 years and never knew the importance of just being faithful to Jesus. I thought I was faithful with my butt sitting in a seat on Sunday morning. That's not what he's talking about. How many hear me? Definitions, faithfulness, the quality or state of being faithful. Okay, what is faithful? True or constant in affection or allegiance. Loyal. Would God call me loyal? Would he call you loyal? There's my loyal daughter. There's my loyal son. Uh, firm in adherence to promises, oaths, or undertaking. Would God look at you? Would Jesus look at you on that day and say, no, I can count on that person. Or, or would he look at you and say, you know, I appreciate the fact that I could count on you. When I ask you to do something, you just followed through. Thank you. Would he say that? Hmm. Uh, firm in adherence to promises, oaths, undertakings. Firm and thorough in observance of duty. That means a person that's, that's taken the mantle. He's picked it up and said, you know what, I'm going to follow through. That's a person that is faithful. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings. But he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. The first part there, a faithful man with a bound with blessing. You want to be blessed? Be faithful. Y'all hear? 1 Corinthians 4, first two verses. Let a, a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Paul uh, speaking of his capacity as a minister of the gospel. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Wow. So anybody that does something for God, regardless of the capacity, first thing he looks for is faithfulness. Amplified is really good, uh, this second verse. Moreover, it's essentially required in stewards that a man should be found faithful, and in brackets, proving himself worthy of trust. See, that provokes a question. In what way have I proven myself worthy of, of God's trust? Could Jesus trust me with a different capacity than I have now? Can he trust you with responsibilities that maybe you don't have? Are you working towards obeying what God has for your life? That should be the first thing we think about in life. Not our money, not our job should be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because we'll give account on that day for what we've done with what he's given us. Yes or no? It's quiet in this house today. Y'all here? Let me also say this. God will ask you often, and this is one thing you'll find out about the nature of God. He will often ask you to do things that are absolutely beyond you. That you don't think you can do it. You don't have the skill. You don't have the necessary education requirements. 
You just feel like you can't do it, but he'll open up an opportunity and give you an opportunity to step into it just to see what you'll do. And see, what is that? That's the beginning of faithfulness. You know, in 1979, a couple of things happened. Uh, uh, first, uh, first of all, Susan and I were married in 1979. Long story, but we found ourselves in this real small little Pentecostal church that was pastored by a friend of ours. And um, he came up to me one day and said, I want you to uh, teach our Sunday school class. Now, let me tell you about this Sunday school class. And, you know, I had a couple of years of Bible school under my belt, so I was ready to, you know, go. Before we attended, moved to Tulsa and attended another Bible school, Kenneth Hagin School, Rainbow. But <clears throat> so well, he said, I want you to teach on Sundays. Well, I didn't realize what he was talking about when he said it, so I said, sure. So I got my lessons ready and all that. When I walked in there, guess what? Most of the people were three times my age. Yeah, I was 20 years old. These people were in their 60s. I'm thinking, okay, what can I talk to these people about? You know what God was doing? He was stretching me, and he's wanting to see if I'd be faithful in something I think I, I thought that I couldn't do. You know, some years later, Susan, I moved to Tulsa. Uh, I was uh, 23 years old, and an opportunity was presented in my lap to go visit, and I've mentioned this several times, to visit five hospitals and, and minister to the, the people who were in the hospital for, from our large church. And at first, I, I wanted to say, you know, here's the classic, here's the classic take. Well, let me pray about it. If, you, uh, if somebody asks you to do something and you say, let me pray about it, that is an absolute classic cop-out. So you need to take that out of your vocabulary. And if you're not doing a whole lot and somebody asks you to do something, you ought to say, sure. And then underneath your breath, by the grace of God, I can do that. Right? I felt so inadequate visiting all those different hospitals, going into the rooms of people that I didn't know. You know, my natural, my natural person tended to, you know, not be as outgoing as I am now at the time in my 20s, but, you know, it was a challenge to me. Um, you know, God will also have you do things that will remove things from your character. So uh, I graduated from my second Bible school, and uh, an, op an opportunity opened up for me to be janitor of the large church. I was, uh, and then after that, I went to see my parents who lived in South Carolina, 1,200-mile trip home on vacation, I'm standing in, in mid-July. I'm standing in my father's great big garden with a hoe in my hand, helping him hoe green bean vines and hoe all the, all the, um, all the crabgrass away from them. And so we're in the hot sun. We're sweating. And he says, Mitch, I want to ask you something. I said, yes, sir. He said, I thought you'd been to two Bible schools. Yes, sir. Well, Mitch, what you doing being a janitor of a church? Why aren't you preaching? Now, I felt like about an inch tall because here's my daddy who, in my, my mind, could do anything, asking me why I was doing what he thought was nothing for the kingdom of God. And my response to him was, Dad, all I know is God opened the door to, for me to be a janitor and I knew it was the right thing for me to do. So I just walked in and just keep watching something happen. I didn't know what. I had no idea. You know, when God asks you to do something, he often won't tell you the next step past that. You know why? He wants to see if you'll do something without question. Would you obey him without question? Would you do what he's asking you to do or someone's asked you to do? Maybe God's tapped somebody in the shoulder and they've asked you because they're prompted by him to do X, Y, Z and you haven't even thought about it before. Your answer is crucial. 
And sometimes your answer can show whether or not you're faithful. For me, janitor time, I had no idea. Often I'd look back and say, God, why on earth? You know, you put this preach thing in me. And I had opportunities prior to being a janitor to figure out God put some preach in me. You know, a cow can moo, a rooster can crow, a dog can bark, a cat can meow. And if you're a preacher, you can preach because God puts it in you, right? So I said, God, why, why, did you, why did you have me be a janitor? Do you know what I figured out? There was a root of pride in me that God was after when he asked me to be a janitor in a local church. So I had a motto, God's nasty people. When I was janitor, because I had, uh, you know, I probably had 60 toilets a week to clean. And I'd walk into the bathroom and say, oh, God, you nasty people. <laughs> well, number one, he wanted me to see if I'd love God's nasty people. Even though they don't change their bathroom habits. And I, even though they walk in the door with mud all over their feet. Well, I love them. Well, I see them the way God sees them, as imperfect but loved. Would I do that? And then secondly, would I... Would I, would I refuse to see myself and value myself based on my occupation? Would I value myself, first of all, in obeying the assignment that God gave me at the moment? Too many men, men, I can talk to you about this and it's not my subject today. A lot of men get their valuation of themselves uh, from their occupation. But back when I was 30 years old, God put me on my butt. I mean, literally almost. And uh, he said, Mitch, you got your, you got your stuff all backwards. You're valuing yourself out of what you do instead of who you are in me, and it's a problem for me. That's called being a workaholic, by the way. If you get your good sense out of accomplishment, out of your position, friends, you'll have a crisis. Men, particularly, you'll have a crisis moment in your life, and God will come after that crisis moment to break you down, to help you break you down and, and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so you see yourself in Jesus and not in any other way. How many hear me? So that janitor thing, God was dealing with me uh, about pride. I'm just saying that God will call you to do things that you just don't feel like you can do. I, uh, my first ministry position after janitor was, uh, you know, I ministered for the pastor. I did counseling for the pastor. He didn't counsel. He studied all day. And, uh, but I did all the personal ministry work for him. Every day I thought I was going to lose my job. Every day my prayer was, God, help me not to be fired today. See, God will call you to do things that are so far beyond you. Back in the, oh, I don't know, I think the first time I went to India was 1998. Cross-cultural ministry is difficult. And if you've never done it, you just don't know what I mean. To understand how, how another culture thinks, how they reason, what they think about life, what they value. They're not Americans, and you can't preach and minister as an American to another culture. And that's where we miss it as Americans. How many hear what I just said? So I'd go to India ministering, and you know what? Indian people, are they're really smart people. And I find out they're so smart, they just look at you. I didn't know if they was getting it or not. But see, God called me to, then I went to Africa, they're the opposite. They're really smart people, but man, they get themselves involved in the kingdom of God. They love to worship, and they love to shout and praise God. And then I didn't know how to minister to them either, because I'm an American. See, God will ask you to do things that stretch you. How many hear me? So God may be calling you today. Maybe, may, maybe, you, may, maybe it's been in your mind, but you've done nothing with it because you don't feel like you're able. Maybe God's calling you to help our children's ministry or helping our youth ministry. How many hear me? Or helping our technology ministry to help run the sound. Or we need people on these cameras. And you say, well, I can't do that. You can learn. You can be faithful. You got a brain. Huh? 
right? Or grading or parking or outreach or whatever. Whatever God's asking you to do, usually it'll be a stretch for you. Maybe you're an introvert and God's asking you to be around people. That'll stretch you. Maybe you're an extrovert and God's asking you to do something where you're not really around people a lot. He'll just do that. He's just that way. How many hear me? For me, it scared the bejeebies out of me. I about wet my britches when I had to get up and, uh, in college and, you know, give a book report or whatever, an essay. I said, Jesus, I can't talk in front of people. And now that's my occupation. God will call you to do things that you don't feel like you can do. Listen, if you play it safe, Listen, you may, pass, you may fail to pass the test of faithfulness. Do you hear me? If you play it safe. 1 Timothy 1.12, God gave me this in the midst of one of these times I felt quite inadequate and unable to do what Jesus was asking me to do. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who does God call? Faithful people. But then I uh, had several translations at the time I looked at. Rotherham's translation said, Grateful am I to him that empowered me. Do you know God empowers you if you'll just put your hand to do something? Yes or no? Henry Alford, I give thanks to him who puts strength in me. Do you know if you'll just take a step, God will help, help you take the next and the next, and the next, uh, New English Bible. I thank, this is my favorite by far, and I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has made me equal to the task. If somebody ever asks you to do something and you're really not doing a lot, it could be the hand of the Lord that has just touched your life through them and through their voice, asking you to do something. And if your first thought is, I can't do it, that's actually okay. Because he will make you equal to the task. And through my life, I found out regardless of what the task is, regardless of what the call is, regardless of what God's asking you to do, he'll make you equal to it. That is, he'll give you his ability. Is that good news? And once you see that, it's an amazing life. Second Timothy 2.2, Paul said to a young minister, Timothy, and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Number three, faithfulness is the major character test that God gives us. How many of you can be taught skills? You can go to school, you can go to college, you can go to school, you can be taught occupations, you can go to a trade school and be taught something, but nobody, but nobody can teach you character. You got to teach that to yourself. And you learn that by how you, uh, how you react to life and how you act in the circumstances of life, character sustains what God has given us, the anointing on our life, and either attracts us or repels us to or away from the call of God. We never rise above our character. Two men in the uh, book of Acts, real quickly, a man named Stephen, uh, he had an amazing preaching ministry, so much so that he made the religious authorities mad, and he was the first martyr of the church, Stephen. Uh, amazing miracles accompanying his, uh, accompanied his preaching and teaching, and then he made the religious people mad. Then Philip was the first evangelist mentioned in the New Testament in Acts chapter 8. Philip was an evangelist. You know where these guys started? They started serving food to people. They started in a, what seemed to be, in their day, a very menial task 
But see, God was proving their character before he gave them another anointing, a different assignment. How many hear me? Acts 6, 1 through 5, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching of the word. Everyone liked the idea they chose the following. Here they are, Stephen. Says he was a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit. Philip, there's his name. Uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, uh, Timon, uh, Parmenas, Nicholas of Antioch, an early convert to the Jewish faith. So again, you know, uh, when God looks for people, he looks for people who uh, have, have chosen and to be faithful and do what the Lord's asking to do, even though it's not the eventual call. How many know you never start where you finish? You rarely start in the office that God has called you to. You've got to prove yourself Faithful. Number four, big things have little beginnings. Everybody say it out loud. Big things have little beginnings. Zechariah 4.10. You should write this, note this scripture and keep it with you. I think about this one a lot. For who has despised the day of small things? We're in the day of big and bigger. God thinks about the small things and what we're doing in the little things. If you're not willing to do something small, you never qualify for something big. How many hear me? Don't wait for something big. That's the idea. Before you decide to be faithful, that big may never come. In fact, watch this, Ecclesiastes 9.10. I've known, I found this scripture in the late 1970s, and I honestly think about it a good bit. And I thought about it particularly when I was a young man, wondering what God had called me to do as I was involved in Bible school and preparing myself for the eventuation of the rest of my life. Ecclesiastes 9.10 came to me. This is not in the notes, by the way. Uh, and it's New King James. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Sometimes, let me tell you about the Lord. He won't tell you everything to do. Sometimes He'll lay things before you, put opportunities before you, but He'll let you make the first step. And if you don't take the first step, it won't be taken. And he'll say nothing to you. Did you know God's that way? He, he's, he's testing. Life is a test. He's testing character. Will you do what's in front of you when nobody's looking? Will you do the small thing? And this verse here, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. That is, whatever is in front of you, if there's an opportunity to do something, go after it and give it all you got. You know, I never imagined that teaching a Sunday school class there in 1979 or visiting those hospitals weekly, you know, in 1982 or being a janitor, you know, those years I did that would catapult me into what uh, God has called me to do in the pastoral ministry. But if I hadn't been faithful in those small things, I promise I would not be here today. How many hear me? In fact, uh, in fact, I'll never forget, I had a real crisis moment. I have, a, I have I've had a few of these in life. One of them was when I was a janitor, I walked into one of those nasty bathrooms with all those toilets there, and I just got fed up because week after week after week, we have thousands of people coming in and out of that church like cattle, like dirty cattle. And I was thinking of all kinds of things they were. You know, I should have been thinking good thoughts, right? But God had to worm and, and, and ream that out of me. But uh, I was sitting there, I got so frustrated one day, 
and say, God, I'm just, I'm just, I did get my towel, I'm just, I'm just tired of this. Swabbing these toilets and cleaning these seats and cleaning these sinks and man, I'm just tired of it. And then the Lord said something to me, Mitch. Because you love me, would you be willing to do this the rest of your life? I, I literally, I fell back on the sink. Put my arms up, so I don't know. He asked me again, Mitch, would you be willing to do this the rest of your life if I wanted you to? If it's my will for you? I, honestly, it took me a little while. And in my frustration, I said, Lord, you know what? Just to obey you means everything to me. And I had to mean it from my heart. I finally was able to say, God, if you want me to do this the rest of my life, so be it. Even though my daddy looks at me with disdain when I'm in the garden hoeing. Even people don't understand why I've been in, uh, what I've been to Bible school, but I'm just swabbing the floors with a mop or cleaning the toilets. I'll do it to the glory of God. I'll be the, and here's what I said, I'll be the best janitor in any church in the world. If you can't think about that in the small things, you're not qualified for anything larger. How many hear me? Are you faithful in the parking lot? Are you faithful as a greeter, as an usher, as a small group leader, as a teacher in the children's ministry? Or faithful in our technology department? Nobody's seeing you. Nobody's, nobody's saying, attaboy, good job, good, good job, girl, good job. No, no, they just, they're forgetting about you. Can you be faithful when nobody knows, when nobody sees, when it seems like nobody cares? See, that proves character. Faithfulness shows who God can trust, Right? Number five, y'all okay? It's quiet in this Baptist church. Number five, faithfulness produces promotion. Everybody say promotion. Psalm 75, 6 and 7, exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. God's from the northern part of the universe, so it didn't mention north. Did you notice that? Exaltation neither comes from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Wow. You say, how come God chose that person? That person, I've got more skill than them. I know how to do it better than them. You know what? There's probably a lot of people that can pastor Victory Church better than me, but God didn't call them. He called me. Huh? Hmm. God's the one that promotes, and he promotes according to the faithfulness of our hearts. And, you know, I'm here because of the faithfulness in in just little small things. You know, back in 1981, 82-ish in, in Oklahoma, our church uh, had uh, 1,200 seats in the auditorium. We also had a, a K-12 through Christian school, and we had to take those chairs up twice a week uh, for the school and then set them back down twice a week, and they just needed volunteers to help them. And it was quite a grueling task. It was not easy on the back, but I chose to volunteer to do that because I did that week after week after week after week after week after week after week and worked my full-time job and went to school. You know what? Uh, the pastor saw me, and that's how I became a janitor at that large church. Eventually, a pastoral ministry position opened up. Why? Because I'm willing to do the small thing. How many hear me? Big things come to people who are small in their own eyes. You got to see yourself that way, Right? Luke 16, 10, who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Maybe I should read that again. See, what you do in the little 
You're doing the big. You say, well, if it were things were different, uh, I, you know how many people have told me, well, you know, I've got a lot of money coming in. I'm selling this, and we got a big windfall profit. Uh, we're going to help you X number of dollars. I've had people give me all kinds of figures. I haven't had one of them <laughs> give me a dime yet. You know why? Because <laughs> if you don't do it when you don't have it, you don't won't do it when you do. If you don't tithe when you're making $100 a week, you won't tithe when you're making 10000 a month. That's deep. You know, before I, I'm trying to summarize here. Before I came here, I had started, I, I, you know, started ministry in Oklahoma and worked for a big church. And then I, I pastored, a, I started a church, pioneered a church in 1988. I was 30 years old. Then turned that over to a guy and I was, uh, had a traveling ministry for a couple of years. And at that time I also started a side business, which was successful. And then, and then God led me to a church in my hometown. Let me just, I'm just trying to show you how God is. And, um, when I went to that church the first time with my, at the time, one, two, three, I guess at the time I had three children. We had Lindsay later. Um, we sat on the back row. I sat on the back row of that church. And because I had such ministry experience, I thought I knew everything because I'd been at the big church in Tulsa and, you know, ministered for the pastor and started churches and traveled in ministry. I thought I just knew everything. So I sat on the back row of a guy's church in my hometown. The church is abundant life. And I judged everything about the church. Yeah. I judged the praise and worship leader because I could lead better than him. I judged the ushers because I could train them better than they were trained. I judged the pastor because of the way he preached. I just had my arms folded and I looked down my nose at everybody. Nobody knew it because I'm smiling. But God knows your heart. And I was sitting on the back row and I clearly heard from the Lord, who are you that you judge another man's servant? To me, he rises or falls. Who are you? And God, so to speak, pointed his bony finger in my face, said, Mitch, you're wrong, son. You're full of pride. And you know, he had such a sense of humor that eventually the Lord asked me to be an associate pastor of the very pastor that I was judging. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, this pastor sat me down at a, at a San Jose Mexican restaurant, Florence, South Carolina, September of 1992, and said, I'm taking my whole family to Latvia on the Baltic Sea, and we're going to start a church there, and I want you to pastor my church for me for one year. Uh, uh, what, what, what? That's what I'm thinking. And he was the very dude I'd been judging. See, God's got a sense of humor. He wants to see if you'll follow through with a smile. He wants to see if you'll follow somebody and do, and even though you disagree with how they minister, I didn't particularly care for this guy's style of ministry because he's so diametrically opposite of me. But God said, I want you to come by his side and love him, and I want you to support him. I don't care if you like or lump how or what he does, you do it. I said, yes, sir. And then this guy, he never knew I was struggling with that, but I was. And then, and then he asked me to pastor his church for him while he was gone and support his ministry. Did you know that was a big character test? How many hear what I'm saying? Listen to the latter part of this verse. I didn't finish it. Verse 12, if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who can give you what is your own? 
You're wanting to be in ministry, wanting to God to use you in a bigger way, be faithful helping somebody else. And God may have you help somebody that you disagree with. You don't agree with everything, all the decisions they make or what they're doing or even how they're doing. God wants to see what kind of attitude you'll have in the middle of that. I noticed while I pastored this guy's church, all of 1993 was a test for me. I noticed while I pastored his church, people came up to me and said, you know, you preach better than the pastor. See, that was a test. I could have said, yeah, kind of shuffled the ground, yeah, I know. But you know what I said? Don't you ever say that again. In fact, once one person said that to me, I went to the people at the time that made cassette tapes and said, don't make another tape while I'm here. People that hear me will hear me here, but they won't hear me on tape. I'm done. And I never promoted my own ministry. See, if you're not faithful in that which is somebody else's. Somebody had come up and said, you do this better than pastor. I said, don't you say that again. I'm not, called, I'm not the pastor. I'm the associate pastor here. He's coming back. He came back in a year's time. I knew he would. He said he would. And I was going to give his church back to him. See, that was a test for me. If you can't be, can't be faithful over that which is someone else, will God give you that which is your own? The, the answer is no. I could have I I taken the guy's church. Did you realize that? I could have uh, siphoned off disciples after myself, but I uh, see I chose to be faithful. See, everything you do, God's looking at motives. God's looking at character. He's looking at attitude. He's looking at why you do what you do. And you know what? On purpose, you know, you may disagree with things I do. That's okay. Come and tell me it's okay. But if you get aggravated, disgruntled, and tell other people about it, you just failed the faithfulness test. Whew. I thought it'd be quiet today. And see, just that year, 1993, opened the door for me to be here. And I've been here 28 years this year. Wow. Number six. Y'all still here? This is the last one. Start where you are with the opportunities that are presented before you. The test of faithfulness, honestly, where you are in life. It may be God speaking to you. Come to church. Get involved in a local church and don't miss Come Sundays, if they have Wednesday, come Wednesday. Just be faithful. For you, it might be faithful in attendance. How many hear me? Just something really small as that. Or for you, it might be getting up early enough to read your Bible. You not have to scrounge for the Word just before you go to sleep at night and you're drooling on the page because you're about to fall out. Get up in the morning. It might be a prayer time. He might be asking you to develop a disciplined prayer life. You haven't done it yet. See, that might be the test of faithfulness for you. Maybe serving others. It may be that the way you think about life, you're serving you, always thinking about you, always doing you. God may be saying, reach out of yourself and help somebody else and don't just think about what's in your circle. Think about what's in somebody else's circle. Yes or no? If you're a dream team member here at Victory, give it your best. Have an attitude of excellence. We've got all kinds of dream team positions available. And if all you do is come to, can I, can I be real here? You sure? If all you do is come to church on Sunday morning, give some praise of worship, clap, clap a little bit, praise God a little bit, lift your hands a little bit, listen a little bit, and you do nothing else, that is not proving faithfulness. Come and help us do what God's called us to do. Yes or no? There is a, a ministry in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's called the helps ministry. Well, I looked it up in the Greek language. You know what it means? Help. It means people that help. And we need a lot of people that help. We have, we have a, a lot of people now that help us do what we do. 
But see, there's also room for you. See, my heart for you is when you stand before Jesus, you know, those blazing eyes, you know, once the smoke clears and he looks at you, he's, I want him to say, add a boy or add a girl. You've been faithful. That's my heart for you. Is he going to say that to you if you're, not, if you're not helping in some way? Help in some way. That's my encouragement today. We've got, we got children's ministry available for you. We've got greeter ministry available for you. Parking ministry, helping park the cars for you. We've got all kinds of technology ministry back there. We, we, we feed the word on the internet 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Somebody's got to make that happen. Somebody's got to man the cameras. Somebody's got to stand in, uh, sit in front of the computer screens and make sure everything's running properly. Yes or no? Somebody's got to run the sound. Somebody's got to help with youth ministry. Somebody's got to help with outreach ministry. We're looking for people to help. Would you step up to the plate and say, I want to be faithful, even if it's scary in thinking that way and making a choice to do it? Lastly, whatever you do, do it like you're doing it for Jesus. Colossians 3, 23 through 25. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. Isn't that good? I'm supposed to do what I do not because I'm serving a person. I'm serving Jesus. I was 18 years old almost when I, well, 18, three weeks after I came to the Lord working at a grocery store for an ogre of a boss. Nobody liked him. He was breathing down our neck at all times and everybody wanted to quit. And God said, love the man and work for me. I could do that. So when I went to work, Lord, I'm working for you. He's breathing down your neck, saying this and that, cussing like a whatever. But I'm saying, Lord, I'm not working for him. I'm working for you, and I just worked harder. You know, if I have that kind of attitude, one day you'll stand before Jesus, and you'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I just want to encourage you. Put your hand to the plow. Do something. What would Jesus say about your faithfulness if, if you were at the judgment seat of Christ right now? Second thing I'd ask you, are you faithful in small things? Third thing I'd ask you, what can you do right now to show faithfulness to Jesus in your local church. You know, I prepared for today because it's real quiet in here. So close your eyes a minute. Lord, all of us, all of us are going to stand before you one day. Maybe we'll remember today. What have I done with my life? What am I doing right now? Am I being faithful? Am I showing myself faithful? Because that will be one of the tests that we must pass. So I just pray for me and all of us that, Lord, we would be found faithful in Jesus' name. I ask you to put it in our hearts. Lord, not to uh, look away from that which we feel like we can't do, but, Lord, let us look at the opportunities in front of us and be faithful. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. I ask for that for every person in this room. Maybe a person's visiting, they're actually a part of another church. Let them be faithful there. Lord, those that you've called here at Victory Church, let us be faithful here. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.